0: This episode contains accounts of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse and racism. You'll also hear some swearing. Previously on American Prodigies. So when I left, I wasn't, even if I was only Black in training camp or internationally, I always came home to a Black city and an environment in my church and my school. That makes a difference, I think it really does.
1: It was frustrating, because all my teammates, it was during that time, everyone was doing, like, the bang, all curled on (laughs) her And you know my hair didn't do that. Did you try once?
2: Of course, I tried lots (laughs) of times. I
0: tried everything that they did. But it still bothers me to today, because being in Olympics was my ultimate goal, since I was
3: little. That's all I lived for. I had to work hard, I mean, harder than these other gymnasts to prove that I belonged where I belong. And that's one of the things with with being a Black gymnast. We have to work twice as hard than everybody else to prove we belong to be there. And it shouldn't be like that.
0: In 2012, at the age of 16, Gabrielle Douglas became the first African-American to win an all-around Olympic gold medal in gymnastics.
3: Nobody will ever
1: float like Gabby in 2012. The last tumbling pass that she did, she did this, you know, amazing rebound into a leap and everyone was like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: I remember watching Gabby compete in 2012. I held my breath the whole time. And at the end, I remember still feeling like it wasn't going to happen, that she wasn't going to win. Up until they finally released her scores. I remember the headline on ESPN, All-American Golden Girl. And that girl they were talking about, she was a black girl. It was historic. Dominique Dawes interviewed Gabby the day of Gabby's Olympic win. It was clear the baton was being passed from one great to another.
1: Here in
3: London, I've been out and about. Moms that are my age have come to me and said, oh, Dominique, we idolize you. And then the little daughters that are there, like, well, where's Gabby Douglas? Everyone's been asking me where you are. (laughs)
0: Little gymnasts everywhere were, and still are, inspired by Gabby.
2: She's a really good gymnast, and she is black like me.
0: My favorite was Gabby Douglas. I think she's still my favorite. She was the person I looked up to when I was really
2: young. I remember when she did the salute, then I was like, oh yeah, now I want to do gymnastics. Yup, no cap.
0: After her win, Gabby was the most talked about Olympic athlete on social media. Her page on NBCOlympics.com garnered over 18 million views. That's twice as many as her fellow Olympic medalist, Michael Phelps. And in 2016, she made a comeback, helping Team USA earn an Olympic gold. But so many things happened between 2012 and 2016.
2: Earlier this week, Gabby was criticized for not placing her hand over her heart during the national anthem. Gabby Douglas is acting ocean salty, not pumped for her teammates, not good.
1: And then, as as we often do with Black athletes, you know, we come around to her hair.
0: We have to find something about powerful Black women to, um, to criticize. I didn't have a chance to talk with Gabby for this episode. She politely declined an interview. It's disappointing, but understandable when you think about the trauma elite gymnasts have had to endure. Consider Joyce Wilborn, for example. Her dream of making the 1988 Olympic team was crushed by injury. I never regretted being a gymnast, even after I left the sport. But when I left, I left and I didn't look back. For me, the pain, it was was too great. I don't watch gymnastics on TV either. And just talking about it still affects me. I didn't see when Gabby won. I heard about it. Betty Okino told us it took her years to renew her relationship with the sport.
1: 10 years after gymnastics, and so far as like, what am I gonna do now? I felt a little bit bitter about it, and I didn't want people associating me with that, with, with gymnastics. I wanted the opposite of what that world provided. Like, I wanted a voice, I wanted to speak out, I wanted to like, be emotional and for it to be okay. I wanted, I just wanted, I wanted more.
0: Leading up to the 2012 Olympics, Gabby gave an outstanding performance at the American Cup as an alternate. So technically, her routines didn't count, even though she had the highest scores.
2: Gabby Douglas
0: from Virginia Beach, and she is just an alternate. She is not officially in the competition. Guess what? She's beating everybody. Then at Olympic trials, her scores very much counted and she took home gold. After that, she was featured on the covers of Sports Illustrated and Time Magazine as someone to watch at the Olympics. And of course, she did not disappoint. She returned from London with the all-around Olympic gold medal in gymnastics, a historic achievement. After her Olympic success, Gabby was everywhere. She was on the magazine covers of Essence, Jet, and People. She was on 106 in Park and Hot 97.
2: Gabby Douglas, Woo! what's going on? Woo! For America!
0: Thank you! <laughs> she was on Wendy Williams.
3: Um, so, Wendy, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Congratulations on everything.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: She was named as one of Barbara Walter's most fascinating people. At six, she started at a local gym. She was a prodigy. By eight, she was winning state championships she took pictures with Oprah on the balance beam. (laughs) Oh, this is the world-famous gym. Gail, take our picture on the beam. (laughs) Oprah, do something. (laughs) Gabby had a lifetime movie, and she wrote her autobiography at 16 years old. That's a lot. And how could we forget when Gabby was flipping on stage at the 2012 VMAs while Alicia Keys sang, This girl is on fire. (laughs) Gabby Douglas was literally the hottest one around. Until she was
2: not. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Please do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
3: Fall Guy. That's what the poster said.
2: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read at PG 13.
0: Hey everyone. We're giving away three custom American Prodigy Windbreakers enter, click the link in the episode description and sign up for the Blue Wire newsletter. The newsletter gives you a sneak peek at content, merch giveaways, and opportunities to win cold, hard cash. The American Prodigy giveaway closes April 2nd and will announce the winners on April 11th. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Courtney Cox.
1: I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Indigenous Race and Ethnic Studies at the University of Oregon.
3: And Dr. Sam Shepard. I'm an associate professor of cinema and media studies in the Department of Performing and Media Arts at Cornell University.
0: Sam, Courtney, and I all study race, gender, and sports. Sam and Courtney both look at media, look at portrayals of athletes and media studies on the big screens and documentaries. I knew they were the perfect people to get together with to break down the way Gabby Douglas has been portrayed by media throughout her entire career. You'll also hear insights from Jasmine Swinnegan, one of Minnesota's only black gymnastics judges, Darren Moore, the founder of Brown Girls Do Gymnastics, Wendy Hilliard, the first black rhythmic gymnast to compete on Team USA, and Olympic silver medalist Jordan Childs, plus young gymnasts who aspire to be just like Gabby. Together, we examine how Gabby, the prodigy, was thrown into the media spotlight right at a time when social media was making it much easier for fans to interact and attack athletes, especially black girls. My conversation with Sam and Courtney begins with the simple question.
3: Whatever happened to Gabby? It's because in certain ways she just disappeared. She has this big media blitz. She's everywhere. She's on the shows. She's got the Lifetime movies and she seems so public. And then she's gone. I'm wondering when this kind of observation
0: came about and what was the kind of driving question about this kind of invisibility of somebody who was once super, super visible?
3: When we think about Gabby and her representation in the media, it was both hyper-visibility, hyper-saturation, but we did not at all take into account that she was not a public personality. She did not have extensive media training. And more importantly, the commodification of Blackness in terms of media meant that she was something to be sold, but she was not meant to be a person. She was meant to be a thing. Today I got to meet... Barbie doll and oh my gosh this is just so exciting it's just so amazing and it's such a huge honor to uh, have a Barbie doll made in my own likeness, like it's just So the very fact that she ends up becoming a Barbie itself is that she is meant to be able to play a role in children's lives or in adults' lives and be a figure but not be a person with faults not be a person with hurts not be a person with the dynamic and ever-shifting relationship to the thing that made her famous So she's only meaningful because she's Gabby Douglas the gymnast So when she's on the VMAs and we have to hear Alicia Keys shriek this girl is on fire she's not on fire because oh she's 17 she's going to figure out what she's going to do with her life is that she can do a backflip her life itself is narrated in a way that it is both a melodrama and a fairy tale and a source of inspiration
0: like all olympians gabby douglas's road to the olympics was paved with determination hard work and sacrifice but it was more than that gabby's journey was laid on a foundation of god's word and prayer
3: so when she gets this Lifetime movie made in 2014 um, and you watch it and look, it's great. It's terrible, but it's great. It's just about like all of your poverty, all of the suffering was because champions are not made out of muscle. They are made out of heart. And so you get this whole movie that's almost an hour and a half long. And like the Olympics play two seconds of it because it doesn't even matter that she won. It is that she has overcome all of these things to get to this destination of a point that's supposed to be more meaningful, that doesn't even make up the whole part of her life. And then it's over. The meaning of her life is over in certain kinds of ways.
0: So I really appreciate that point, Sam, because it's like, you know, when I started researching black women in sports, I went to look for their stories and I couldn't find them except for in children's books, because in 20 pages on the strength of a dream, you can overcome racism and sexism and poverty I had to ask myself, what is it about black women in sports that makes them so useful for these like truncated stories? Why are they such like fodder for inspiration? And I think especially when we're thinking about sports and saying, like,
1: what is the next part of the story? Courtney? Part of what I'm hearing, even in thinking about this difference between girlhood and womanhood within like children's books, the ways that these narratives work, especially work well when we're talking about girls, right? We're talking about relatable struggles, right, and how girls are way more marketable. It makes sense for the Barbie, for the fashion line, for the reality show, for the movie, for the memoir. What has happened in the first 16 years of my life are not bookworthy. I also am not a first in any way. So it's a little different. But so much life has to be lived. And once you make it past being 18, past being 22, being past 30. You're like, oh, things are really just now marinating. (laughs) And so it's interesting how marketable girlhood is. And there's plenty of folks that have written and talked about how girls in sport are way more marketable than women in sport. And so we see this on full display with Gabby being able to be everywhere and then the disposability of not only that particular sport, but how girls are rendered safer. Women are just this complicated, mysterious thing that cannot be in any ways understood in terms of full humanity in a way that girls can represent innocence, can represent success in a particular way, can overcome in a way that can be very palatable. And then the other side about that is how you come into adulthood, how you come into your blackness in a particular way in this highly visible space.
0: And I wanted to think about also what it means when she's visible, because then you have all these kind of other moments, like, of course, hair, but also like that moment where she like tries to do the duggie. You told
3: us the other day that you would do a like happy dance if you made the Olympic team. Do
0: you have it in you? Yeah, I can do the duggie
1: for you guys. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. baby. like, none. why you teach me how to Gabby? Know why? They still can't do the duggie.
0: Which clearly still grinds her gears because like she'll make a TikTok about it <laughs> like every
1: other month for real. <laughs> it really. would haunt me too, honestly. I was
0: on Twitter the other day and somebody was just like, you ever randomly think about that gymnast trying to dance? Not that gymnast. Yeah. <laughs> you also have these moments, whether it's your hair and hair upkeep and attempts to do the Dougie that is also seemingly putting her under a microscope of her own blackness. Speaking of being put under a microscope for your blackness, Sam, Courtney, and I had to talk about Gabby's hair. At the London Olympics, people were obsessed with it. Gabby did interview after interview, trying to refocus the attention to her athletic accomplishments.
3: It's the thing that's brought up in every single interview so that she has to keep responding.
0: Like in this Hot 97 interview, when she had to once again deal with the backlash about her hair.
1: It like was all over Twitter and there was this big kind of discussion about Gabby's hair, right? What did that feel like? Because you're at work and we was all like, oh, leave the little girl alone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, OK, the ponytail is looking, at, but she's sweating and she's working and she's doing flips. Like, did you feel a certain way about that? Um, I was definitely hurt because... A lot had went on and I had made history and then um then they were talking about my hair, but right. there, was like was yeah, there was a bigger picture. Yeah, there was a
3: word about the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, um it was a little sad, but you know. here's
0: the thing. Black hair is under constant scrutiny, especially in white spaces. Moreover, for many people, like Darren Moore, the state of hair itself carries meanings about your identity and your well-being. I feel like other people, other cultures don't understand hair for us. Um, It's not just that our hair is different. Our hair holds so much power for us Um, that when you come across people who don't understand it and who um, talk bad about it, it's more than just like, oh, I don't like your shirt. Like it's major for us, you know. So what's often missing from this conversation about hair is that Gabby had moved to Iowa to train and lived with a white family. She was not exactly in a place where there was a lot of focus on Black hair care. And sending her to Iowa in the first place was not an easy decision for her mom, Natalie.
3: I cried a lot of tears because I knew what it would mean. I mean, it would actually mean I'm going to pick up my 14-year-old daughter, the youngest of four children, who I didn't even let spend the night really with anyone else, and let her move to Iowa.
0: Wendy Hilliard reminded us how normal it was for great gymnasts to leave their communities to go train with the best coaches. It was an enormous trade-off. If you're totally away from all your community, and a lot of Blacks have had to do that. Gabby had to do that. Dominique Dawes had to do that. When when they went to train, they were Iowa or wherever. Live with your coach someplace. They were never around Black people. I'm like, that, <laughs> that is some serious pressure. Jasmine Swinigan lived in Iowa at the same time Gabby was training there. Everyone was just so critical of, you know, why doesn't she know how to do her hair? Why can't she find someone to do her hair better? I went to school in Iowa at around the same time that she was training in Iowa for the 2012 Olympics. And the options were pretty slim and, you know, few and far between. And also, like, if you're practicing six, seven hours a day, when are you going to do your hair? Like, it takes hours. All Black girls have a really awkward hair phase. It just so happens that 13, 14, when Black gymnasts are doing it, it also coincides with like the most visible part of their career. What was your hairstyle at that age? I could tell you mine. Mine was like you would flat iron the bangs and then leave the rest curly the bangs always were like
3: here, like couldn't see eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And with a slight bend, you know, there's a slight <laughs> bend. I have been there.
3: You know, I had a long standing relationship with the, the same hairdresser who did my hair for like 30 years. But then I was like a braids girl. And then the second I put those braids in, the head tossing and the ponytail got to go for a run and just the bobbing of the head back and forth. You know how many people I hit both purposely and on accident with those <laughs> braids? And they would be the burned in braids, right. the kind that said, oh, this is like a little mini whip, <laughs> like
1: bam. My freshman year of high school, I decided to go natural in a moment that was not target or easily accessible for hair products. There is no YouTube tutorials it was a rough moment and I'm thinking about when you say specifically like 14, I just was on these message boards like, yes, I got to get rid of this relaxer. My mom was like, you're going to do what? This is canon. I'm so grateful that I had that moment in private. Like I cannot imagine being seen all the time. Part of my own Teenage experience is heavily mediated through my hair, getting my hair done, talking about what hairstyle I might imagine once this hair grew out. And so I think that moment of exploration without hardcore judgment outside of, you know, your your close family and friend groups, I think that there's a freedom to that very often that black women, black girls who are highly mediated don't get that freedom. I hate that because that's such a huge part of the discovery process. And having all these extra folks (laughs) makes it so much harder. But I think about it, too, because that hair conversation was really
0: resonant to me as a transracial adoptee, where it was very clear to me that hair was an entryway and always also something that was like a hyper visible signal of if I was okay. If you're going to be adopted by white lesbians, like let it be the two that got me right because From Jump, one of my moms learned how to braid when I was a baby. All her friends are Black women and she just learned how to braid on a Cabbage Patch doll because she knew she needed to know how to braid my hair throughout my life. And so when that conversation happened around Gabby's hair, I felt like it was also kind of like one of those internal Black Twitter discussions that then like other people get into. And it was like, this wasn't really like an open invitation space, right? In many ways, when I think of that conversation, I think about people who were like talking about her hair as a way to say, is she okay? Like she's surrounded by... This system, this bubble that does not have racial mirrors, that has cut her off from her family by necessity of winning. Right. Like that is the whole premise. Like you go to move to Iowa and this kind of way that it signaled like we need to kind of surround her, you know, especially after everybody watched her try to do the Dougie. But then it was people like, leave her alone. She's like doing her sport. And I think that it like transformed in real time to a very different conversation about her hair, which was more about scrutiny on her and not a critique on the system that she was in.
3: She grows up in a social media age. So then we see her trying so hard to have her hair done. Like there was such a, how will she look? in the next time that she has to be public and it's odd because it's like, nobody has Beyonce's weaveologist. Every time I also look at her hair, because I'm thinking to myself, you're so aware of it that all I can see is it
1: as I'm listening to this about Gabby's hair, is there's like the anti-blackness of like, worrying about this woman's edges, this girl's edges in 2012, when we're talking about her performance, right? Which is also how women in general, especially black women, are so policed for their appearance as they're also doing great athletic things like this idea of having to look like Beyonce while also performing like Gabby is a huge thing again that precarity this thin line of like damned if you do damned if you don't and then when i watch these folks read how black women for example are looking at Gabby's hair and then i'm seeing white women and black men this is not your conversation it's like anti-blackness inception We're having this conversation, which is something that is a beauty shop conversation. And there's a way that we can hold each other accountable in that space of like, we are worried about Gabby's edges. What have we been conditioned to think in this way where we feel like she's unacceptable? I think that there's just something about watching that moment play out on social media and watching the anti-Blackness pile up from different folks in different ways and how Gabby becomes this central figure. There's um, a great piece by Kathleen McElroy, credible black woman, com scholar who talks about how the cultural struggle that's older than the modern Olympics is the trials and tribulations of black women's hair, like the idea of all these things are merging in this space. I'm more fascinated how social media conversations become a larger kind of conversation of where we are culturally, socially, politically, in many ways that start with somebody's edges.
3: But I really like that point, Courtney, about who is not invited into the conversation and then therefore what the scale of the Olympics does to to create openings, not welcomed openings, which is why when it gets to be 2016 and she doesn't put her hand, it's it's like we let you come back in here. And so you're not performing in the ways that we want you to. And so it becomes a larger white discourse about patriotism as opposed to 2012 when it's about beauty standards and as you said or or general care standards or or more particularly her relationship to her sport, to her sense of self, to all of these things that are not shrouded in melodrama or faith. When she goes makes that memoir, aka the Diary Years Zero through four, it's basically about like a leap of faith, a leap of gold, Jesus, God, like, because she has not found anything else, right? Her faith is the narrative as opposed to anything more substantial because she hasn't been given time and space to be substantial.
2: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
0: 2016 is an interesting moment because this is when Simone Biles makes her first Olympic appearance. In the beginning, it seemed like there was room for both Gabby and Simone. I mean, they were teammates.
1: Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas, Lori Hernandez, Madison Koshin, and Allie Raisman won Team Golden Rio.
0: Simone was definitely the new star. Even the youngest gymnast could see it.
2: Once I saw Gabby Douglas, I was like, okay, she's pretty good. And then I saw this girl named Simone Biles. I was like, oh my God, she's so good. I want to be exactly like her.
0: And then at the Rio Games, Gabby was accused of being jealous and unpatriotic.
2: Gabby Douglas just standing there and not placing her hand over her heart while our anthem played was unOlympic. olympic Hashtag Respect. Hashtag Rio Gabby Douglas should have placed her hand over heart during the national anthem when she received her gold medal. Disrespectful. There is no excuse as to why you could not salute the flag of the country that gave you the opportunity to compete. Hashtag Rio 2016.
0: While Simone was positioned as the new it girl,
1: was it a mean girls moment at the Rio olympics when gabby douglas threw shade at simone biles for her gold medal win in the individual all-around women's competition you can't sit with us was clearly all over
2: gabby douglas's face
0: there is a shift from gabby to simone these two great gymnasts paths crossed and suddenly it seemed like there was only room for one black girl at the top of this sport
3: and so i was wondering why publicly We do not talk about Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles at the same time, since it's not a situation of so much time has passed between the two. You actually have them on the same team at the 2016 Olympics. You have a very, very close connective lineage. The ascendancy of Simone Biles as a singular sporting figure well beyond anybody on any team in the history of the sport did much to both illuminate her as a exceptional athlete while also like eclipsing the fact that we also just had this other exceptional athlete in America and particularly sports and our sort of public imagination. We're so invested in first that it's so interesting that we do not remember or celebrate this major first within the sport.
0: Well, I think that something we love as much as we love first, right, is when there's only. It's always fine to have one person. Actually, you need one person. One person allows you to be shielded from critiques. One person is like proof of meritocracy and bootstraps and all this stuff. You just need one good Black person. What happens when there's more than one? Because that becomes an equation that's a little more unsettling, I think, to institutions because that actually represents like a change in the equation where you might actually be doing something that's additive and not this swap in and swap out. Part of that is because Simone was really good and is a generational talent for sure. But Gabby was also (laughs) really good. She's second to Simone in the other major lead up competition. Very clean, a good start for Gabby. Folks, that was unbelievable. Look at this. This is a backflip with a full twist and it is darn near perfect. The landing.
1: Boom.
2: We've got Simone vials taking the gold. Gabrielle Douglas taking the silver. And, and I think
0: that there is something in that. Is there room for two black girls at the top of a sport at any given time? When I think of that question, what happened to Gabby? I think she was right there, but she became disposable.
1: Gabby's mistake, they're reading, as coming back in 2016 when she needed to be frozen in 2012 as the first. And the audacity to come back and still want to compete in the sport that you've built your entire life on is like, ooh, you're not the girl anymore. So this idea of there's a couple of black girls. So now there's too many, or that's the only way you can win is a very interesting read on a historical moment that is about the absolute scarcity of blackness in this particular sport. And so I'm seeing all these things kind of mingle together. And my mind is on some sides, very blown because of how this transition from first to only how quickly it can happen, how quickly it can become a problem. I think about what the next generation of gymnasts might feel in watching this transition from Gabby to Simone and how many girls are inspired to get into gymnastics because of them. And then I think about how that is going to be rendered some other kind of problem or rapidly commodified as we've seen at the college level so far
2: gymnasts and png athletes gabby douglas and simone biles good morning ladies so good to have you here good morning gabby giving you any good advice i know your teammates and probably rivals a little bit uh not so much Yeah, (laughs) we're not Gabby like that we try to keep it fun
0: in the lead up to 2016 so many of their interviews and their framing and stuff like that is built on this kind of forced connection Whereas we can see in juxtaposition with Jordan and um, Simone, Biles and Childs, that that is a familial relationship. Jordan moved to train with Simone and their best friends, where you can see how fiercely they fight to remain tied together, not in opposition, but as a duo. Oh, look, it, it's Biles and Childs, the dynamic duo, the best friends out there
2: competing, doing this, doing that. But we've gone through so much, like sisters.
0: There's potential to um, sever Simone from that lineage to see only what she'd like accomplished and weaponize that against Gabby's choices to say, like, look at Simone, who's like leaned into her blackness, who spoke up more effectively versus everything Gabby didn't do. And I think for me, like a moment that really crystallizes that is when Gabby and Simone have like one of their only public exchanges November 2017, Allie Raisman, um, of course, two-time Olympian, a survivor of Larry Nasser's sexual abuse, Ally shared a message on Twitter that told people to stop shaming sexual abuse victims for the clothes they chose to wear. Gabby responded.
2: It is our responsibility as women to dress modestly and be classy. Dressing in a provocative slash sexual way entices the wrong crowd. And Simone then quote tweeted. Shocks me that I'm seeing this, but it doesn't surprise me. Honestly, seeing this brings me to tears because as your teammate, I expected more from you.
0: And that was this kind of moment they had been careful to sidestep before that.
1: For me, one of the ways I've been trying to think through, understand maybe love on Gabby from afar is understanding in that moment with the tweet, part of what she might've been trying to reinscribe for herself the ways that she felt like she had done something wrong, right? The way that she was processing her own trauma was through this very respectable wave. And at the time, I just thought it was so harmful because I was like, these girls have already been through so much. These women are doing the most to really take down these massive entities. And to hear that from your own is just heartbreaking. And then I realized my heart broke twice, right, Um, is to understand that she was like, I got to uphold black excellence. And I thought about how that weight operates in so many different ways. It can be so destructive. And so I think about what it means in this moment of Simone, of folks that are like, I'm excellent. It's so excellent so that I will prioritize me over everything. That's my version of excellence or magic or whatever you want to call it. And so I think about what this new generation is bringing, right, in terms of joy, in terms of their performance style, in terms of all of these things. But I think it's rooted in rejecting that perfection.
3: When I go back and I watch Gabby talk to Oprah, she is so trying to be perfect. Oprah's like, oh, you had to get disciplined. You got your phone taken away.
0: And I heard there was a punishment where the cell phone got taken away. Yeah. What had you done? i see seen a little attitude adjustment. <laughs> What was going on there? She was homesick. Yeah.
1: That's funny, right? This is how she acts out. She wanted to come home.
0: yeah. So
3: she was refusing to go to the gym. Whoa. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you have to earn refusal in that. You just quitting, fine. Then we never know who you were. You didn't have what it took anyways. And it turns the sport back to what it should be. But do we want a bunch of black girls running into this sport? Is that what we want? Perhaps this sport is not compatible. With doing just work for Black women, how could it be? I'm interested in seeing what Biles's career looks like in five years after this, and in part because of what happened to Gabby. Because what you said when you like talk about her disposability, it just hit something for me. Because then I got like actually just super sad because I have to think to myself what it means to be in your young in like in your 20s, but like to sit there and to be like. What do I do with myself? It'll be interesting to see how she is remembered, like how Gabby was, was and is in certain ways forgotten.
0: Sam Courtney and I spoke for over two hours and we touched on what Gabby's been up to lately. Because for real, whatever did happen to Gabby? Well... In February 2021, Gabby, whose Dougie had previously been immortalized, won the first season of The Masked Dancer as Cotton Candy.
3: I've never done anything like this before. I've never trained with a mask on. It was a first time performing and not being judged. I had so much fun, and I'm so grateful and so honored.
0: For her re-entry into the public performance space, her identity was hidden, a fact that Gabby said made her feel free. Then on YouTube, she hosted Strive, a documentary about refugees competing in the Tokyo Olympics.
3: This summer, more than 2,000 athletes from over 200 countries will come together in Tokyo for the 32nd Olympic Games. (coughs) But not every athlete will be representing the country they were born in.
0: Also that year, in the midst of mental health conversations in and outside of sports, Gabby wrote an article for Interview Magazine. In it, she talked to her friend and former elite gymnast, Nia Dennis. At the time, Nia was competing for UCLA's gymnastics team, and her most recent floor routine had gone viral. It had showcased Nia's athleticism, and it featured music by Tupac, Missy, Kendrick Lamar, and Meg the Stallion. It was hella black. It was intentional. It was wonderful. Nia's floor music from her viral routines was completely different from what Gabby's music was giving during her career
1: part of Gabby's style that is so beautiful to watch even now is she's so crisp. She's so technical. It's so beautiful. Her floor routines are stunning without music because I hate all of her musical choices because she's so good without it. I prefer to watch her on uneven or balanced because I, I think that I can just enjoy the crisp technical stuff in a particular way. The floor routine, I'm like, are you listening to the music? Are you into it? And there's a distance. And I think that She's lived in that distance. Their
0: contrasting floor music is a representation of how Gabby and Nia's lives went in different directions. In the magazine article, Gabby congratulates Nia for her success as a collegiate athlete, and Gabby gives us some insight into her own career as an elite gymnast. She writes, Even though I'm grateful for everything from the sport, it does have its pros and its cons because it doesn't really prepare you for life in general. It's only the mindset of win, 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 win. It is instilled and ingrained in us to win. And when we don't, we have this huge feeling of, I'm worth nothing, I'm replaceable. Further on in the article, Gabby says this about elite gymnastics. Hopefully they'll change and realize that we're humans too at the end of the day. We're not just machines, we actually have emotions that need to be expressed and not bottled up. And Nia co-signs with "Say it again, girl" for the people in the back. In the next episode of American Prodigies, you'll meet Nia Dennis and Sofina DeJesus. Unlike Gabby, these two former elite gymnasts went to college. Sofina and Nia catapulted themselves to visibility and thrived under a different spotlight.
2: I looked at my phone because I didn't have my phone and it was like blowing up.
0: I woke up and my phone was going crazy.
2: Like, ding, 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 like nonstop. I got to go on Ellen for the second time in my life. Like, literally, I should. Got a shout out from, oh, bomber, what?
0: This episode of American Prodigies was reported and hosted by me, Amira Rose Davis. Story editing and production by Jessica Luther. If you want to hear more of my interviews with gymnasts, subscribe to Blue Wire's Apple Podcast subscription channel. Along with ad-free episodes, you can listen to my full interview with Elizabeth E.B. Price. Search Blue Wire and Apple Podcasts for access to all the extended interviews. It's free for the first seven days. Subscribe today. This episode featured archival audio from Fox, NBC Sports, Hot 97, The Wendy Williams Show, ABC News, OWN, The 700 Club, The Barbie YouTube Channel, Non One LLC, Team USA, CBS News, Buzz 60, Universal Sports, Today, YouTube Originals, and UCLA Athletics. Jessica Bodiford and Kelly Hardcastle-Jones are our senior producers. Sound design, mix, and mastering by Camille Stennis. Isabel Jocelyn, Kayla Stokes, and Jordan Liggins provide production assistance. Fact-checking was done by Mary Mathis and Jessica Luther. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And we had research help from Shawatha Surendran, Mariam Khan, and Mary Mathis. American Prodigies is executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yales. Listen, this subplot of Half of Insecure has been Molly's Wigs like Insecure came back
1: and I was like, what is this wig doing? Like, just why can't we get it right? But Uh, also, this is an aside. Molly's wig is wildly accurate to a certain type of professional black (laughs) woman. Let's also speak to how it is on brand. Like there is something very authentic happening about the certain kinds of wigs that high powered black women that have a certain resonance or relationship to their blackness that that could also be the wig.